This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. to you. It is time for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jay White. Coming up this week, well, Elon has finally got his pet project up and running. And boy, the zoo is already in full effect. Elon wants to charge you $8 to be verified. There's lots of thoughts I have about this. I'm sure for Jeremy as well. And a Redditor acquired a decommissioned Netflix cash server with 262 terabytes of storage. You could download Belgium and put it on that. We want to hear from you as well this morning. Are you going to pay $8 a month to be verified on Twitter? Is that not verification and more like just a subscription? We're going to have Jeremy Thompson, the Hattiesburg Computer Doctor, here in just a moment. Everyday Tech is MPB Think Radio's show about consumer technology and your very own personal IT department all wrapped up into one convenient package. Jeremy can help you fix it. Wilts can help you keep it safe. And both can do either well, so you're in good hands either way. Good morning to you. We appreciate you listening. Lots to get into today, including, of course, Elon Musk getting his pet project up and running. He's bought Twitter. It's $44 billion. That check is cleared, evidently. And so now he's running things. And boy, is uh, he taking off with it. And yesterday, uh, a string of tweets, including announcing... And this is what I would love to talk to our audience about today. Uh, a, a string of tweets highlighted by his announcing that going forward, you can be verified for $8 a month. Now, there was a rumor leading into this, I guess, over the last weekend or the last week or a few days or so. And um, that rumor was that. It was going to be $20 a month, but instead, it's just 8 But there's a lot to ask about that. Number one, um, is it a verification if you can pay for it? Uh, no is the answer to that. I'll go ahead and answer. You don't have to think about that. I'll answer it for you. Uh, it's not a verification. At that point, it's just a subscription. So you can have a blue check mark, but it doesn't verify anything other than your check cleared to him. And man, this $44 billion, he's going to make it back in a heartbeat. Because a bunch of folks who value these things tremendously, and I'm not judging, are going to go for it. People who have long wanted that check mark are going to be able to get it. And people are going to flood the money in for that. Now, a lot of people that do have that check mark doesn't mean anything to them. And the way that they set it up previously was kind of weird anyway. And I don't know that there's a good way to do it. Again, Twitter is kind of like YouTube that we've talked about and Facebook where it has so many, or YouTube especially, so many users, so much content that it's impossible almost to try to make some uniform standard operating procedure change. Uh, I used the, the phrase earlier today, uh, it's too much toothpaste to try to put back in the tube. And so... In, in that regard, there were companies where all, basically all of the people would get blue check marks. So like, 
if you worked for Gannett, which there were a couple of Gannett papers, or there are a couple of Gannett papers in Mississippi, the Hattiesburg American, the Clarion Ledger, and Jackson, like every reporter, no matter how much or how little you did, or if you were part time or full time or whatever, everybody gets a check mark that worked for Gannett. Certain television stations, like, uh, for example, Gray Media owns the NBC and Fox affiliates in the Jackson area, or they own one in LMA, the other. Everybody who's a reporter there, anybody on air, digital reporters, people who barely get to the air, maybe six o'clock in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays, everybody gets a blue check mark. And some of them people, it's not even important to them. Some of those people are shocked by having a blue check mark. And then some other people that need it to actually differentiate themselves from a bunch of other people with the same name or people who have, and this is what it's really for, people who have a bunch of copycat accounts who put out misinformation in the name of the person you're really trying to look for. That's what the verification is. So, you know, that some, sometimes those people who really needed it, it was really hard for them to get it and had to reapply and run through that long, really never well-explained process over and over and over again uh, without a result. But now you can just buy it, which makes it meaningless and not valuable at all. Anyway, just my opinion. But I would love to hear from you. Do you want to buy a blue check mark for $8 a month? You can do it. Like, we can talk about it right now. Let me take a step back. It sounds like I'm being super judgy. If you want to go get a blue check mark, man, knock yourself out. Call me and talk to me about it, and we'll have fun with it. Uh, I'm not judging you for wanting a blue check mark. I'm judging him for, for, I'm judging the owner of Twitter for putting blue check marks on sale. And that's, I guess, that's, you know, for whatever it's worth. Jeremy, what's going on? Good morning. It's good to talk to you. How are you? Hey, good morning, Jake. I've uh, been pretty busy this week, man. Uh, yesterday, I uh, participated in the USM Golden Idea Mixer, where they had uh, 25 groups of students come in for a Shark Tank-esque presentation. Yeah. And I was one of the first sharks, I guess, to sit there and kind of, you know, uh, offer them advice and kind of helping them sharpen their pitch and whatnot because they have to squeeze a lot into a minute and it was it was a challenge for a lot of them but it was a lot of fun and uh, I got to meet some really intelligent students yesterday that are very determined and you can see that they will succeed in their business endeavors whether they you know go through to the final round of that thing or not that sounds like a lot of fun did you come out with any great ideas or things that that kind of blew you away you're like I hadn't thought of that Okay, so I'm actually not I, – I saw some really awesome stuff, Jay, but due to the fact that this competition is still ongoing, oh, okay, yeah. I'm not going to talk about any of the uh, contestants or anything because um, I only got to see a handful of them. So um, because even though there were 25 of them, I only had three minutes uh, with nine of them. So – uh, we were grading them on, you know, how well they knew their target audience and um, if they had really like researched their product, if they if they knew if they knew what they were getting into business wise. And a lot of them seemed pretty well informed about that. And some of them didn't. What I noticed most was that the students, they had a really good idea for a product, but they didn't know who they were going to sell it to. Mm-hmm. And so. I was, you know, I was sitting there in my fancy chair like, well, look, you know, you're, you're in a competition, so you're going to need to be clear on who this product is for because I'm not going to be very tough on you, 
I'm just a small business guy myself. But the next round is going to want to know that you know who you plan on selling this thing to, because it's it's a competition. You gotta you gotta show that you're laser focused on where you're going. Yeah. But um, maybe next week, once everybody's already gotten their awards and everything, I will talk about it because I saw some awesome stuff, Jay. Awesome. I can't wait to talk about it. Awesome. Awesome. There were uh, there, there were two students that I met that had multiple projects. Um, they were like, oh, yeah, so the one that uh, we're showing you now, this isn't even the one that we put in the competition. That's a different thing. And then they showed me the one that they put in the competition. I was like, wow, these these kids just might win this thing. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I can't wait to hear a little bit more about that. That sounds like a really cool experience. Well, man. Yeah, I'll have to speak in all the mystery because everybody out there is going, what, what could it be? Yeah. I'll say this much. It's centralized around streaming. And making Ooh. streaming easier for people. And I was quite blown away by their idea. So Now I'm super intrigued because streaming, while fairly easy, can sometimes seemingly be unnecessarily cumbersome. It's either like, it's either super easy or for some reason it just doesn't work for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not always like how the the... the the gadgets talk to each other. A lot of times the apps maybe aren't set up right. A lot of times you, you buy one thing and slap it on your TV, and but the streaming, uh, the device you have, or maybe your phone doesn't act right with the type of TV or the type of device you got. If you got an Apple and a Chromecast, you remember for the longest time, those things didn't act well together. But now in all these videos, we've got, uh, you got your AirPlay logo and you got your Cast logo so everybody can be happy. So, man, let me ask you about right. this uh, this Twitter thing and Elon Elon, Elon Musk and him you floating out this eight <laughs> right floating out this eight dollar Twitter subscription idea. I guess it's not an idea. Like he's, I mean, he's the owner. He's basically talking like he's going to do it. Uh, that includes uh, verification, uh, long form video, audio posting, and fewer ads. The Twitter Blue Service, which you, I mean, I was making a joke about it being Twitter Plus, basically, and how it's a subscription. And you were like, nah, dude, it's called, this is what Twitter Blue is. And, and Twitter Blue is a thing that's already been implemented. Um, it, it, well, I will say it was implemented fairly well, but it was, I don't know, by and large, completely ignored and rejected by users because they were getting a completely fine experience without having to pay. And then all of a sudden you're asking them to right. pay for something. Mm-hmm. But... Let me say, the adult in me, Jeremy, sees what Elon Musk is doing, and he is leveraging demand into revenue. And I can't necessarily blame him for that. I can think it's silly that a bunch of people will, uh, I was going to say fall for this, and that's not the right word. I'm trying not to be judgy about this. But a bunch of people are going to clamor for it. But by the time it gets to them, what is it really? What is a verified check mark on Twitter now when you can just buy it? It's not verification. It's verification that you have $8 a month in the bank, basically, is all it is. But what, I'm going to get over myself here. What are your thoughts about Elon Musk and his new $8 Twitter subscription? Well, to me, the ability to purchase legitimacy will devalue actual legitimate posters because now you won't be able to tell the difference between a reliable source and some loon out there who paid eight bucks for a blue check mark. 
<laughs> that's dangerous. Yeah. Now, I understand the, you know, his his claim is that he's after freedom of speech, but it's been noted that hate speech has risen on Twitter since he took over. And that's scary. And so if you're going to just, you know, auction off a blue check mark to a bunch of haters and uh, large groups of um, dangerous people, that is unwise, in my opinion. But I know that Elon Musk is not out there for the average American. He can't see the forest for the trees. He is mm. blinded by money. And I'm sure that he's going to get a good chunk of it from this. But this is an experiment, in my opinion, and I don't think it's going to go very well. Um, Jack Dorsey, you know, he he bailed on Twitter uh, quite some time ago, but he has decided that he's going to keep his shares in Twitter to see what happens. Honestly, Jack Dorsey has enough money that he can sit there and, yeah. and wait and see, you know, oh, uh, can I gamble on the richest man in the world? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it's going to be a flop, but I'm saying that it is dangerous. And not that I'm a big Twitter ike or Twitter user, whatever you want to call it. I'm not really a user of Twitter. So it doesn't really affect my life one bit. But for the people that do use Twitter, your social network is about to change. And it's going to be hard to tell where your legitimate information is coming from versus just a bunch of nonsense from somebody just spewing hate online. Hmm. All right, put a pin in that right there because that's interesting because Twitter has always been my social media go-to. Uh, I've spent... Uh, a long time, many hours, years building audiences for different uh, media entities that I've worked for and also building a brand for myself. And that sounds silly to some certain extent, but it's a real thing. Um, so Twitter has always been the place that I've been. Uh, and it's always been the one that's the most special to me because I feel like it's the one that um, up to this point has not allowed uh, revenue to get in the way of what the platform is supposed to be. That's going to change now, but I want to hear more about your thoughts about how, for people who are longtime Twitter users, this is going to change the way it's used. Because, I, look, I have some problems with the way people have handled this change with Twitter, uh, there's a lot of people on one side of the aisle that seem to be saying, hey, if this is the way it's going to be, we're going to abandon it. And to me, that's a that's a really poor look. That's an that's a yeah. ridiculously poor look uh, from people who are who typically don't take that kind of road. And you can email us every tech at mpbonline.org. Love to talk to you about it. If you're a Twitter user, um, if you're a heavy Twitter user. Or an experienced Twitter user, does this, uh, does this have any, um, I guess, draw to you to try to buy a blue check mark? Or I wonder why he would not make like, I don't, and I made a joke about a Twitter Plus, but you know, some sort of other gadget that they could put at the end of your name instead of the check mark. Maybe they could keep the verification blue check mark, which, by the way, they will still have a second line below your name, like they do with politicians now. That will still serve as essentially verification. Hey, later on, uh, later on in the show, Jeremy, I want to talk to you about a Redditor who acquired a decommissioned Netflix cache server. Do you know how much storage that thing has on it? 
You want to take a guess? Um, and I know I didn't I didn't prepare you for this, so this is a total shot in the dark, which is what I wanted. Um, I'm going to go with one petabyte. 262 terabytes of storage. Sounds like a lot. Now, what did you say? Is that a thing? Is that the thing past terabytes? <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That's okay. Twenty-four terabytes. So wow, it's huge. Man, all right. Uh, so we could talk about that. How many did you say? Two hundred and sixty-two terabytes of storage. A two thirteen, a two thousand thirteen era server. So it's like one fifth of a petabyte. Yeah, I still don't even know what that. Man, right. that's, well. Now that I guess such a huge number, it like cheapened it in the same way that selling blue check marks to everybody is going to cheapen those. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it. That, that'll be a little bit later I on. I had to do it. <laughs> no, that was, no, no, thank you. I was trailing off. You brought me back. Thank you, sir. Um, so tell me about uh, you. Before we took the break, you were talking about how for, for regular Twitter users, this is going to change. I'm interested to know what you mean a little bit more about that. I mean, of course, obviously there's going to be some change, but in, in your mind, what do you think are some of the things that people are going to see? Because again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a heavy Twitter user versus the normal, I think. And um, so I'm, you know, at, at least in the time that I've spent on Twitter and the, uh, the people that I've followed, the relationships, the relationships I've built, dare I say the audience that I've built and whatever. But uh like I've I've invested a lot of time at Twitter, so I'm interested to hear what you think might be going on moving forward. Well, basically, um, now that anybody can purchase a check mark that says I'm a legitimate, validated user of Twitter, if people still make the association with the check mark being some position of authority, then that's a very, very dangerous position for someone on Twitter because you won't be able to tell who's legitimate and who's not unless you know what to look for. It's kind of like counterfeit money. You know, uh, there's a lot of really good looking fake bills out there that I've seen before, but in circulation, there's just, there's just so many bills out there that unless you know exactly what to look for, you can have a counterfeit bill come right under your nose. So people are going to have to become more discerning. Well, if there's one thing that we've learned, especially through this pandemic, and what a wonderful experience it's been to learn all this, is that people don't really dig any further for sources of legitimate information. Oh, I saw this on Twitter. I saw this video on YouTube. This is obviously suddenly the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And now people are able to purchase the check mark to to contribute to a fake idea of legitimacy. Furthermore, with all the hate speech that has risen on Twitter, if those things are not going to be moderated, then Twitter is going to become kind of like Parler. And Parler was a very dangerous app uh, because there were a lot of groups that were using it, and they were using it for discrimination and hate speech and rallying up people that feel the same way. I'm honestly pretty frightened to see what that's going to do because there is a massive social media platform that is now basically giving a thumbs up saying, we totally support this under the guise of free speech. But it's a powder keg, Jay. You're giving the haters a new place to hate, and it's a very legitimate one. 
where can you go and find a Twitter logo? Pretty much any business you go in says, hey, we're on Twitter. Yeah. And now we're going to be associated with the haters of the Internet. And that's okay because it's a legitimate Internet platform that some really rich guy purchased to do exactly this. And I'm, I'm worried, honestly. I am. Because I've seen the, the, the cancer that social media has become on our country, and I've seen the division that it's made between the people, and this only makes that division more powerful. And, you know, we're supposed to be a United States. And I, I mean, I know this is not, this isn't even about tech anymore, but we are not a United States. We are quite divided in our ideas. And this gives the loud people a platform to be louder. Hmm. That's interesting. And you said, you know, that, you know, immediately following uh, his takeover that, um, I guess, hate speech uh, exponentially, uh, statistically spiked. And here's a little bit more about that from a CBS News story online. Researchers from Montclair State University found that the 12 hours immediately following Musk's ascension to ownership saw a much more hostile, quote-unquote, hostile environment on Twitter. The team looked at tweets filled with, quote, vulgar and hostile rhetoric aimed at people based on their race, religion, ethnicity, and orientation, such as uh, N-word, F-word, and other words that I didn't know were lettered words, to find out just how bad it got. And what they found was, quote, an immediate, visible, and measurable spike. So um, in the weeks leading up to Musk's acquisition of Twitter, researchers said there were no more than 84 hostile tweets an hour on the platform, which if you know about the uh, the amount of users on Twitter, that's a pretty remarkable percentage, a remarkably low percentage. Very but, low. But from midnight on October 28th, the day Musk took ownership, to noon the next day, there were 4,778 hate-related tweets. That accounts for more than 398 an hour, about 4.7 times higher than the seven-day average leading up to that day. So basically five times higher in 12 hours than what a seven-day period was before. The potential reach for those tweets was more than 3 million, researchers found. Researchers also said there was an increase in negative sentiment, with more than 67% of the tweets sent after Musk's takeover having a negative tone. In sum, they say, the content and tone of Twitter posts became measurably more oriented toward hate speech on the day Musk became CEO of the company, with significant reach attained for this hate content. So, um, I have I have some thoughts here. Number one, there is a there is a really vague line on free speech and what free speech means to you, and is it dangerous to allow everyone to have Unfettered, unfettered access to a platform that's popular with totally uncontrolled, unpoliced, I should say, free speech is because to me, that sounds like the way you have to do it. If you're going to let anybody have access to the platform, you have to let everybody have access to the platform. And to me, and this is where the slope is slippery or or this is where the line gets blurry. 
just because I don't like what people say doesn't make it a thing that shouldn't happen. But I know, and, and I guess this is where the blurry line is, right? It's, it's when does free speech become dangerous, potentially, to the greater common good? And then is there like a ranking? Is there a tier ranking of how dangerous these things can be? And at what point does it trip some sort of alarm where you're like, hey, this is we can't this is unacceptable because I don't know where that is. Free speech to me has always been just free speech. Uh, And it's been up to the individual because this is the way America works. It's up to the individual to decide, well, that's garbage. I don't want to follow along with that, you know, or, you know, this is this is something I don't like. So I'm just going to change a channel basically, or I'm going to go to the next tweet, or I'm not going to pay attention to this, or I'm not going to invest my time and, and, and brain cells to giving this, you know, the light of day. Why is it so hard for us? And this is kind of what I was talking about in the first segment. There are, by and large, a lot of people who are left-leaning, who identify left-leaning on Twitter, who since Musk announced that he was going to buy the company, they've basically said, I'm out. Uh, entertainers, singers, actors, a lot of Hollywood, they've decided they're just going to go. They're not even going to fight for this thing that they've spent time building. And that, to me, is the completely wrong way to handle this. And I'm disappointed by that, to be honest with you. Um, so that's just some of my thoughts about it. But about the, you know, what about, about the free speech versus protection of the greater common good, where do you sit on that? Because I know you have thoughts about speech, it too, you know? Basically, it's it's kind of how terms and uh, guidelines are right now on most other social media platforms. Free speech has, I mean, it, it, everybody's allowed to speak freely online. It's when you start spewing hate or it's when you start um, being really, really ugly and you start attacking individuals. That's that's where things get really dangerous. And when you identify someone online to a massive group of people, that is called doxing. And it has resulted in people's deaths. It has resulted in SWAT teams being called to people's homes, Mm -hmm. people's lives being ruined. It's very dangerous. So if you put the power to dox people in the hands of dangerous groups like that, that's, that's where freedom of speech becomes uh, no longer freedom of speech because you're infringing on the rights and the freedoms of other people. So I guess maybe my my next, my next question is, go ahead and finish. I didn't want to cut you off right there. Sorry. Well, it's just, it's, it's not about saying, Oh, well I have freedom of speech so I can literally say anything I want to. Yeah. No, you can't. That's never what it was about. It was about speaking up being oppressed by your government or, or something else in society, but not attacking someone, not targeting anyone or a specific group. Yeah. It's not, it's not about that, but people have, the lines have been blurred. And nowadays, you know, you're talking about these, these left leaning celebrities and stuff that are taking a stance. Nowadays, cancellation is the stance. This is the way that you can show your staunch support for the way that you feel. Yeah. And it's extremely extreme and it's very mindless, but that's just what people do because we are all very emotional 
And when somebody like Elon Musk, who used to be what I would say um, politically neutral, yeah. has now decided which polarity he's wanted to choose, he is taking a lot of steps to give people that he wants power more power. And when someone on the opposite side of the spectrum sees something like that going on, uh, quitting the platform is the only option. It's just like when, you know, you go in a store and, and, and you don't get the service you want. You're like, I'm never coming here again. You're probably coming back in a few months when you really need something and you've totally forgotten it. But in your moment of heated anger and rage, you decided that that was the best option. For you. Yeah. Did you look stupid? Absolutely. But did it, did, did you get your, your feelings off your chest? Sure. I mean, it's, it's not the most rational thing in the world to do. But how many of us are really rational? I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. I have days where, you know, I sit here and I, I wonder, like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I don't put more stuff out there on the Internet because most of the stupid stuff that comes out of my head has no business being consumed by anyone else in the world. And I'm glad that I don't put it out there. But I have a filter. A lot of people don't have that filter, Jay. And people that don't have a filter who get an audience of people who just mindlessly listen to them and take everything they say as truth are dangerous. Yeah, I, I, I don't. To me, it is, it is a dangerous precedent, though, when, as a public, we fill in the gap for people who don't or who haven't developed appropriate filters. I guess, and that's just a personal opinion of mine. Certainly not speaking on behalf of anybody else. But I think that's, you know, because, uh, you know, the next time something like this comes up, you know. I mean, and in this one, I guess maybe depending on your your political lean one way or the other, it's easy to identify who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. But it might not be so clear cut the next time something like this happens. And I don't know. I I just something about that. Uh, And I guess I should qualify what I mean by by free speech. Um, To me, uh if somebody's going to, you know, aggressively throw, let's say, you know, the N bomb at people in what is obviously um, a pointed, aggressive, evil manner, of course that that needs to be policed, uh, and and that that was my assumption all along, but I, to me, I mean that that's something that should have always been policed all along. So I don't I don't know. I mean, is is that so? Or what? What we're saying is, is that Elon Musk's Twitter. If you just want to drop n bombs on people, you can just do that now. Is that what we're saying? He's going to turn Twitter into? I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. But surely, at some point, this is going to reach some kind of an apex where they decide that you know something is going to have to be done. About yeah. It. Because, I mean, he, to have the money he has, he's got to be a smart dude. He didn't pay $44 billion to turn Twitter into parlor, did he? I mean, that would be ridiculous. I mean, because there's already a parlor. Parlor, right. right. But parlor's not popular. Parlor's not popular, and parlor has a negative connotation on society because it was directly connected to the insurrection on January 5th. Right. So it would be a bad idea, Kanye to buy something like that, but, you know, he's out of his mind anyway, so he doesn't care. He's just out there doing whatever he wants. Yeah. Elon Musk, on the other hand, he is completely within his mind, and he knows what he's doing. And I think he knows that Twitter can be 
very dangerous. And he has decided, under the guise of free speech, to give everybody a chance to speak freely. And um, I know that GM, General Motors, has already uh, halted advertising on Twitter because they do not want to be associated with that type of activity. And there would be very few advertisers out there that would. So this could be a grim nail in the coffin of Twitter. Um, This could be, you know, just onboarding new advertisers that support these kinds of things. It could go both ways. But I think that the big money companies out there are going to be wise and they're going to withdraw from anything negative like this. So GM is just saving the face. And they're trying to uh, play it by ear and see what Twitter becomes. Because it didn't say that they were, you know, discontinuing advertising on Twitter. It said they were pausing it. And I like that. What do we do when we pause? I like that. Or, I mean, I don't know, maybe the thing, well, that's actually probably smarter than what I would have done. I would have probably just kept going as normal and waited to see what's going to happen and kind of let it play out and then respond. But to take... You know, to say, hey, we're not going away, but we're going to pause while we wait to see, you know, what's how this is going to work. That's 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 actually pretty smart. I like how they did that. And uh, because it it allows you to, you know, if things work more aligned with what you'd hope they would, then it allows you to step back in. So I like that. That's whoever their PR people are. That was a pretty smart decision on their behalf. I'm going to move along, Jeremy, because we've talked about this for 40 solid minutes and nary a call. Yeah. uh, Ain't nobody worried about Twitter, I guess. So, and that's okay. So 16.1 iOS is draining folks' iPhone batteries. If it has, there's a little bit of a workaround. There's not a fix yet. They're probably working on that already. But we'll tell you uh, how that has been if you've noticed your battery draining much faster. We'll talk a little bit about that and... Some of the new features that are hitting your phone all in the last week or this week so far with 16.1. And there's uh, more to, uh, to go, including uh, the the not the whatever the megabyte uh, mega ultra dominator byte thing you were talking about earlier uh, at the Netflix cash server that somebody bought on Reddit. Everyday Tech on Think Radio with Jeremy Thompson. I'm Jay White. We are not going to talk about Twitter this segment. Because it has been abjectly rejected by our listeners, our callers. No, I'm just joking. We've talked a lot, a lot about it. It's interesting talk, though, because it's not necessarily about Twitter, uh, about tech nuts and bolts, which we talk a lot about. There's more gray area in that story. And uh, I think it's interesting to not a, whole place, a lot of places where you can kind of dig through that and, and talk about it a little bit. So I appreciate your opinions about that, Jeremy. So... Before we get into this iOS 16 stuff, there's a couple of things that you've sent to me over the course of the week, Jeremy, that are pretty interesting, including one <laughs> about uh, a Pantone colors, right? Or is it Pantone? It's Pantone, right? Pantone, yeah. Yeah, they are <laughs> – it's a specific type oh, – well, let me, let me allow you to set up the story, but it's very interesting, a thing that's happening with Pantone colors. Yeah, colors. So graphic design is not really my strong suit, but um, when you design something in Adobe, you may use Pantone colors. And if you use Pantone colors, those colors have been removed and replaced due to changes in Pantone's licensing with Adobe. 
So colors can get so, colors have licenses. Apparently, the <laughs> phantoms the, do. The specific colors that you can get through this do have licenses, copyrights, whatever. Yeah. So it looks like uh, Pantone wants twenty one dollars a month for access to their colors uh, starting in November. So if you open up like an old uh, design and it ha- or any design and it has Pantone colors in it and you have not paid for Pantone, um, your colors will be replaced with something equivalent or maybe just black. I thought at first what I read was is that, black. yeah, at first I thought uh, what I read was that uh, they were being replaced with black. And that's just it. I think, I think it's it's uh, it tries to match it to a close Adobe allowable color, um, but this particular example that I sent you was dark enough to just be replaced with black. I think. Yeah. So that's interesting. Twenty one dollars a month for Pantone colors. I don't know what the, the what the difference in technology is between Pantone and regular colors. I'm sure there's some sort of gimmick to it that allows them to want to or have to. I'm sure they don't want to charge for colors, but something behind the technology probably forces them to have to try to generate some sort of revenue over there at Pantone. It's basically the the Pantone is used to give you the closest color to what you're designing on the screen. Because, you know, if if I design something and then I send it to somebody else, you know, the colors may look different on their screen versus what they look like on my screen. So Pantone is a way to... Standardized that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. But uh, yeah, it, when you sent me the story, I was like, "So Pantone's out here trying to be real audio, and uh, being like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not. It's not about MP3s. It's about real audio." And everybody's like, "I don't care. It, does it play a sound? That's what I want. It's on my computer, man. I'm not worried about the quality of it yet. That would come several years later. But okay, I've got a tiny addition to that. Uh-huh. It allows you to specify colors." that can't be mixed in traditional CMYK, which is cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Okay. That's some background. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll deal without Pantone. Maybe Pantone colors and Twitter can go hang out somewhere in a really exclusive place. iOS 16.1, all the new features that just hit your phone. But first, before you go, and if you haven't downloaded 16.1 yet, Here's a little bit of an issue. Um, if you feel like your phone, if you have 16.1, you feel like your phone, uh, the battery is draining faster than normal. You're not alone. Um, uh, ZDNet has been contacted by several readers who say their battery life has fallen through the floor. That's drastic. Since applying the update a little over a week ago, social media is awash with complaints. Awash. And there's plenty of discussion about this over on Apple's support forums. Many of those suffering say they're using an iPhone 13 Pro Max, but there are reports of other iPhones being affected, too. It's hard to tell how widespread it is. Some are going against the grain and claiming improved battery life after applying the update. I just I guess it depends upon your phone's mm-hmm. genetics, right? But there's definitely something going on. Um, sorry to disappoint, but there's not a fix yet. There doesn't seem to be anything that works reliably. Most people end up turning off a bunch of settings and resetting network settings only to get frustrated when that didn't work. 
Uh, and now they got to go figure out what their settings were again. Still, they can offer some words of advice. Here are a couple of tips that can help you get through the day. Switch to low power mode. You can turn this on or off by tapping on settings and then battery. Or you can add a shortcut to your control center by going to settings, control center, customize controls, and then selecting low power mode. But be aware that low power mode affects a number of features from screen brightness to background refreshing of apps. You can carry around a power bank because that's what everybody wants to do. You don't need a big one. You can do it with something like the Anchor PowerCore 5000, uh, offering ample addition power to take you through the day. And keep an eye out for iOS 16.1.1, which should land with a bug fix. So that should be in the next week or so. You a power bank guy? Yeah, absolutely. I've always, well, I mean, I already have, I'm, I'm already carrying around enough junk. And I can't find a, uh, I guess, a, a good way to carry all my junk around with me. So I've wow. always, I've always uh, balked at battery packs to carry along with my phone or, or battery banks because it's just something extra heavy and big and bulky to carry. But, I, I mean, I guess maybe they're not all bulky now. That's always been the thing in the past, though. I have a small one that I carry with me, you know, if I'm on a job and my phone's dead or whatever, um, I don't really have to deal with that much lately because I just upgraded my phone this year. So the battery is brand new, but my old phone, um, I would occasionally have to juice it up. But while we're on the topic of chargers, Jay, <laughs> yeah. um, this weekend, my mother-in-law or last weekend, um, she was at my house and, uh, she was sitting there with the same old, uh, battery, block that she's had for gosh at least a couple of years and she has an iphone 11 and she was talking about how long it was taking to charge her phone and i haven't really looked at her battery charging situation but i just you know just decided to help her kind of revamp it so she was using just a traditional usb plug to lightning and then going into her phone that was really good for uh people who had the iphone 7 and 8 but after the 8, we got the 10. And when we got the 10, we got a whole new way to charge our iPhone. So that's every generation since the 10. It came with a USB-C to, U- uh, to Lightning cable, and that is a fast charge cable. So you have to get a battery pack that has a USB-C or PD for power delivery port on it. It'll just be oval-shaped. It's the new one that charges all the Samsung phones and a lot of the Apple stuff now, but not the iPhone specifically. Yeah. Um, although it seems that Apple is going to adopt the USB-C standard, probably globally, uh, because they're going to have to do it in the UK. That's what they've what said. They, they basically, without putting out a press release, one of their executives said that. They're like, yeah, because of the EU, we're going to have to go away with lightning cables and put in USB-C, and, and it's going to produce a whole bunch of electric... Or a bunch of a whole bunch of plastic waste, and we're like, oh yeah, you're worried about that. Gotcha, boss. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's your big <laughs> top item issue. Yeah. So, anyway, the uh, the the fast charging cable will change the game for any any iPhone 10 and up user. I think even the SE 2020 can support it as well. But you just have to have the right power block for it because the cable end is no longer USB; it's USB C. But if you get the right cable, and you can go to pretty much any store that sells iPhone chargers, and you can get the fast charging cable, that will change how fast your phone charges. It'll go from two to three hours to charge to hour and a half to an hour. 
Wow. She uh, sent me a text thanking me. She said, you know, this has, like, completely changed my day because I would sit here waiting on my phone to charge for so long. Yeah. And now she doesn't have to because it charges the way it was designed. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you are still, uh, I guess just a couple of weeks ago, you, you advocated the slow charging overnight, which is something I don't think a lot of people think about, right? Definitely. Definitely. Um, because the fast charging does affect the lifespan of your battery, or it can. I won't say it can. Um, it is still good to get that slow overnight charge if you don't need your battery charge quickly. But definitely during the day, if your battery is dead, you need that fast charge. That's the way to go. Keep it on the slow charger at night. All right, let's take a phone call here. We got Robbie on the phone from Peru. Peru. Robbie, what's going on? Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing well. Um, Thanks I for calling. Thank you. I have a Toshiba laptop that's about 18 years old, and I have an HP that's about two years old, and I have pictures and files on the desktop of the Toshiba. Could I transfer those to the HP via an HDMI, or should I put them on a slip drive and move them individually? So HDMI doesn't move data like that. Um, You have to have, like, a special USB cord to do it. But it would be better, especially if you don't have a lot of data, to just move it on a USB drive. Okay, okay. I didn't or an external, like an external drive. I'm sorry? Yeah. Well, I, I like them on my desktop in the folders. Could I mm-hmm. put them on the slip drive, transfer them to the HP, and put them on the desktop? Or would I have to hunt and find them? I mean, when you put that drive in your other computer and you bring up the contents of that drive, given that it's 18 years old, I'm not sure if it'll pop up automatically when you plug it in or not. But when you plug it into the computer and you bring up the contents, you should be able to drag whatever in that drive over to your desktop directly. Oh, okay. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. All right, Robbie. We appreciate the call. South America won everybody else nil on the show today. Didn't think I'd say that, but I'm glad to. Hey, a Reddit user named Poison Waffle 3, look out for that dude, recently acquired, I don't know, he could be nice, a 2013-era Netflix cache server that had been pulled from service and wiped for disposal, which marks a rare occasion where the public has been able to get a look at the mysterious hardware that Netflix uses. The decommissioned cache server called an Open Connect Appliance, or OCA, operated as part of Netflix's Open Connect content delivery network. Open Connect is a network of servers around the world embedded with local ISPs that contain local copies of Netflix video content, accelerating the delivery of that content to Netflix viewers locally by putting it as close to the viewer as possible, both geographically and from a perspective of network hops. Jeremy, that sounds like mind-bending technology right there. But how about this 2013 era? It's a nine-year-old server that's been decommissioned by Netflix with a a uh, storage of 262 terabytes. That is interesting. Wow. How do you find that? How do you, like, I, I would be pretty interested by it. It's probably a bajillion dollars for a fan to buy. But how do you even find access to something like that? That's insane. I want to know how much it weighs. Right. I'm looking at it, it's, it's got big. 36 desktop hard drives in it. <laughs> that is a chunker. And the thing is, is that it's not even that big. So, the density of the sheer density of that device. I mean, you would have to get somebody to help you with it. 
Absolutely. Uh, Poison Waffle 3 acquired the bright red Netflix cache server because they work for an ISP that were pulling the devices out of service. He was offered one. He didn't even go to buy it. He was offered it. And he said, of course, I can't say no. What would you do with something like that, Jeremy? I would just keep it in my office and I would just look at it and, and, and marvel in its, its beauty. I'm looking at the internals of the server right now. It's pretty awesome. I've built, you know, tiny servers compared to this, but they're like, there's five raid cards that I can see in it. So those are, those are individual cards to sync up the contents of those drives for backup purposes. That's an incredible technology when you click that Netflix button on your remote control, the one that bypasses all the other ones, the ones that I, those, I hate those buttons down there. I guess they pay for them, though. That's going to be it for us. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening today and for Peru for calling in. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 for Everyday Tech on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you.